This is Film Trauma Podcast, and I am your host, Rick, and I spent my entire life savings buying Blu-rays. I have a lot of downtime as a professional tattoo artist, and instead of using that time productively to research my next art project, I spent it browsing Blu-ray forums, Instagram, and Facebook groups dedicated to collecting films released by boutique labels like Severin Films, Vinegar Syndrome, American Genre Film Archive, Arrow, just to name a few. When I saw a Blu-ray collection that rivaled my own, I would feel green with envy and red with rage, and I was compelled to fill my shelves with the films I felt my collection was missing. Now I find myself on the brink of financial ruin, but I've decided to spend my time on movies rather than my life savings and rediscover all the things that made me fall in love with the movies in the first place. If you're curious about what's in my top shelf collection, I've logged everything on Letterboxd. You can find me there under Film Trauma. I'm also on Instagram at Film Trauma Podcast and Twitter at Film Trauma Pod. Now, let's get into today's episode. Jalo January ends with our final episode this month, I think. And we are going out with a bang with one of the most unusual and one of the most run-of-the-mill, um, you know, by-the-book giallo that you could find. The first one, Autopsy of 1975, is completely bonkers bananas. And the other, um, the Black Belly of the Tarantula, I don't know what year that came out. Uh, 1971. 1971. 71, yeah. Yep. Is a very satisfying by the book Giallo. Um, that is definitely one to recommend to entry level fans of the genre. So uh, I don't have my Blu rays ready. Kind of, kind of did a, um, a recording on the fly here. So we'll just skip all that and get right into it and talk about. Well, I have them in front of me. If you want me to, I could start with either one. Yeah, start with um, autopsy. We'll just do with that because that one is just go go for go for that. Okay, so my copy of autopsy is on Forgotten Jolly, Volume Three from Vinegar Syndrome. Autopsy: A wave of sudden violent suicides have gripped Rome and are being blamed on sunspots. Simona, a young pathologist with an unhealthy obsession with death has become increasingly interested in this strange phenomenon. But with the discovery of the body of a young woman, an apparent victim of a self-inflicted gunshot, Simona finds herself thrust into a terrifying mystery and a conspiracy to cloak actual murders as suicides. And the nearer she comes to unraveling the truth, the more in danger she is to entering the sights of a deranged killer who might be a lot closer to home than she realizes. And then it gives some credentials of who's in it and whatnot, and that it's all remastered. Right, so then I have I have the same copy as well from Vinegar Syndrome from the box set Forgotten Jolly Volume Three, and the story basically starts like that, right? It's just you, you follow this a medical examiner, or she's working in some a morgue and they're doing experiments on the dead, and uh, she starts to slowly lose her mind, as uh, it happens with uh, Jalo dames in these films, and the opening sequence is a very bizarre. Uh, it starts with a bang, right? With these ser- rash series of, of suicides. And when I turned this movie on, it just blew me away. It hooked me immediately. I was like, what is this movie? What am I in for? What's going on? And it starts really strong. And it just kind of falls apart in the middle of it. 
Um, yeah. After it the has that. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Oh, just after the story gets rolling, and <clears throat> because they meander so much around the plot, they purposely are um, vague with details, withhold a lot of things unnecessarily. You, you tend to lose interest because, like, I mean, you, Rob, you and I talked about this earlier. This film. You, they the story goes like this happens and then this happens and then this happens instead of this happens and therefore this happens and when you do that in the giallo I'm fucking lost by the half an hour into it yeah, and this suffers from some of the shortcomings that I think most of the titles in this genre can happen from is a very plotting act two um, but it's a little more apparent in this one because everything that we get kind of rapid fire in act one because it's so vague because there's not a lot of specifics it makes it that much harder to pay attention in act two and it makes uh the final exposition dump and dump in act three almost like you're getting it for the first time yeah it doesn't really put a period on the sentence as some of the, the other films from the genre do but that being aside there is some grisly imagery in this movie it, it does get your attention right away um but it does kind of deal with a lot of uh sexual perversions and some stuff that's uh kind of borderline cringy and kind of makes you say a little bit of Ugh. yeah so i i see why it's a forgotten title um however it does not look cheap it does not appear to be no. something that was filmed with minus budget no. so it has that going for it it feels like it did have a pretty big budget and it does it's hyper sexualized it's it's hyper gore hyper violence and i think it was around that time where the italians were using a lot of real guts and real bugs and real organs and hearts and livers and things to create the illusion of gore on screen and they, and this film is one of those gross-out movies. I'm not surprised if it was on the video nasties list. I don't have that list memorized, but it definitely could have been with all the sex, nudity, and the real-life um, autopsy photos that have been blown up, human size that are on display that are absolutely grisly. Yes, so yes, they are. And uh, yeah. it's it's not easy to watch. That being said, with all of the, how confusing this movie was and the the plot is pretty simple um like you were talking about years ago there was a flood and somebody was covering up for somebody else something happened this happened that happened and it's just not really apparent until the end of the movie and and like you said the slow middle just seems i don't know it's unnecessarily convoluted yeah and <clears throat> this doesn't have some of the stylistic tropes that are in other films of the genre. It doesn't mm -hmm. have a uh, masked or gloved killer, or it doesn't have a killer in a fedora or a top hat or something that is unique and a little stylish. It just kind of gets revealed later, and we have a guy who's basically wearing golf pants and a and a yeah. polo. So he has no yeah. he has no menacing menacing qualities to him. So maybe you know that's obviously in fictional movies that killers dress up like that. It's not a real life thing. But style is part of the yeah. substance and part of the mm -hmm. formula in these films. So if you start taking away a lot of those qualities, you're kind of proceeding with caution. Um, yeah, so, I, I thought I thought the exposition dump, other than giving an attempt to explain why this was happening to me, it didn't really. It was just kind of like, okay, 
I've been sitting through this movie a long time already. I would just like you to finish up so I can go on to another one. Yes. <laughs> and it ends That's with another another right. rooftop scene where yeah. there's a fight on the roof, and mm-hmm. the guy goes over the top. And uh, uh, Okay. So then when it was done, Margo and I just kind of looked at each other because she watched this one with me. She goes, you know, this one didn't really make a lot of sense. And I said, I know. And lots of times these movies don't make a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. She's just, yeah. So yep. even for someone who's not a diehard fan of the genre, it's Short's Cummings were... Pretty obvious. Pretty, pretty obvious. Yeah, and I think that this one, the, what I what I will say for the positives in this film, which I really do like, is they took the idea of Giallo and they expanded on it, and instead of a rash of killings, they had a rash of deaths, which I liked, and they had the um, genre tropes in there, which is good, because it fits the framework of a Giallo, so you can actually consider this less of an outlier and more of a Giallo film, because it has a lady questioning her sanity going nuts there is some psychosexual stuff some some gore and there's a mysterious killer and there is some family drama uh, woven into the plot with uh, betrayals yeah Yeah, betrayals and and also having a relationship with your killer a sexual relationship with your killer who is only revealed to be the the villain at the very end in the exposition dump and then you have um a priest and you know some and then you know the confrontation on the roof at the end so there and, and there is some really shocking moments and, and the deaths are very shocking which i really enjoyed i really enjoyed that the falling off the roof and the car explosions and and then there's a really cool sequence where they put the shotgun and it shoots the dummy and blows its head off and i was like holy crap that was awesome yeah and uh yeah that stuff is all just fine what what I didn't like about this movie more than anything else was I didn't like the sef- she- sexual aspects, excuse me, taking place in a morgue. She has yeah, fantasized about corpses coming to life and yeah. having sex, and then her yeah. co-worker tries to tear her underwear off, and, and she yeah. stabs it in the face multiple times. With a with fork. A, with a fork. <laughs> yeah, it was bonkers. Uh, it's not like I can't handle gore. I've seen a lot of gore and stuff, but this one just kind of has a little bit of a slimy. It was, a, um, yeah. It was like fine, you know. It, it was like maniac in that way, where it was just really, yeah. You felt really gross, real dirty. It was almost like a Joe D'Amato film. It was, reminded me a little bit of uh, Beyond the Darkness. You know, um, have you seen uh, Beyond the Darkness, Joe D'Amato's? No, is that the one where the it's like an illustrated cover, like an old guy and, and his face is kind of melting from the side i think so yeah the one that i have is a little different it's like a like almost like a it's like a skull and a hood and it's like melting but uh okay yeah it's an italian gore film and it was wrong and then like you know like cat in the brain and this film and beyond the darkness they all kind of go hand in hand like i know you haven't seen cat in the brain yet but when you watch that one you're in for a treat because it is um it's it's kind of in the same vein as this, but Fulci doesn't go as balls out realistic in that one. But it is pretty tough to watch sometimes. So overall, well, that's consistent with his Gates of Hell trilogy because there's some pretty graphic scenes in there that make watching them a little easier because it never really looks super realistic. Right. So I would say overall, um, this one. For the originality of it, I almost want to say a solid two and a half, nearly a three. 
but um, I can, I don't know, maybe three stars, maybe a loose three, two and a half. What do you think? You know, that's funny. I'm I'm going two and a half. Okay. I'm going two and a half. Yeah. Um, it, it's better than trauma. Um, it's better than in the folds of the flesh. Uh, but I still consider it below average. And a lot of these films could should kind of fall into that mid-range mm-hmm. quality. Yeah. And, you know, it gets points for trying to do something different. It gets mm-hmm. points for having uh, a very exciting opening first few minutes that really got my attention. Um, but those points don't trump the middle and the end and kind of some of the lack of the flair and, and artistry that are in some of my more favorite titles. But this is still a, a decent title. I think it's better than any of the titles they selected on on volume one. So two and a half, I think, is fine. It's it's below average. Yeah. It's below three, but it's not a horrible film. No, no. And, um, yeah, so I... I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it did. It did kind of irritate me. It aggravated me a little bit. And it was really. It was too long. I think again, eighty-five minutes. An eighty-five minute cut of this film would have been perfect. I think it would have tightened things up a lot. I'm not sure where you could trim things. I, I'd have to go back in and pay attention to that again. But an eighty-five minute cut of this film would make it a lot easier to watch. Well, I think. There's a couple different scenes in the morgue with her and her coworkers where they're just doing a shitload of talking and it has her kind of struggle with what's going on. Once they spend a lot of time showing us that once, we don't really need to come back to it again. Or if we do, it can certainly be briefer. Yeah. Um, and then some of the different scenes with her father and his coworker and, you know, is one of them trying to take advantage of the other one? Or oh, lying yeah, and looking yeah. For- they're always looking for papers and books in this movie, yes, too. Yes, so that's true. Yeah, it was like think, documents and shit, yeah. Yeah, so, so some of the scenes could maybe either be combined into one instead of having to show it twice, and I wouldn't doubt that that would shave a few minutes, but... Uh, it would be interesting. Anyway. It would be interesting to take this film and like just cut together the narrative and just piece that, you know, make it more coherent. Like because the thing with like the letter, they find the orange uh, envelope letter and some of the other stuff, I think you know, just putting that somewhere else in the film, maybe, or just making it a bit more coherent would have would have helped this film. It was just a, it just felt like a disjointed mess a little bit. But these films overall, they're more of an experience. But um, you know, when and especially when you watch it next to a film like The Black Belly of the Tarantula, it, the weaknesses are really apparent. Really apparent. You know what? I have it. If you were to take the interesting premise of a body being found that's not actually dead and is unaware of his surroundings, or I mean, he's aware but can't express himself, like in Short Night of the Glass Dolls, and he finds himself in this autopsy room area, thriving with activity, with coworker conflict, and all this weird shit from autopsy, that would have flushed it out enough to make it a little more interesting and maybe get rid of some of the leaning so heavily on uh, this Florence disaster, which they don't even bother to hint at. Yeah, yeah, they at don't. All until they right. need an explanation for something. Uh, right, well, right. Yeah. I thought that was very strange. I talk about that, and then just kind of like in passing. A lot of these things are just like in passing, and you're like, okay, well, if you don't aren't really keen on the history of Italy and Florence, specifically that region, you, that would kind of be lost on you. So 
it's fine. It's fine. I don't, I don't, you know, take away any points for that because it's an Italian film and they, you know, make no bones sure. about that. So, but yeah. So anyway, the other one uh, we'll do tonight is um, the Black Belly of the Tarantula, which is one that I slept on, literally slept on, because I would been, I was been doing my Jalo marathon for such a long time, and it just got sandwiched in between like the short night of the glass dolls and the red queen kills seven times. And I had watched it on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon when I wasn't working. And I think I had just had a Jalo overload. I watched about half of it. Right. And I really enjoyed it and I fell asleep and I never finished it. So I think maybe my first impression of it um, was off, but upon my rewatch, I just really loved every moment of this film. I thought it was really strong. It was really good. Really enjoyed it. And it became one of my favorites of all time after I, after I sat through it. Yeah. Well, I have the Blue Underground copy on DVD. And uh, as of now, I, I don't know if there is a Blu-ray offering Not yet. for this title. Um, Horror Review considers it the best Giallo ever made. I don't know that I would agree with that. but I It's up there. It's good. I think it's an excellent giallo. So, yeah, so a deranged killer is injecting beautiful women with the poison of a rare wasp, paralyzing them and forcing them to witness their own brutal murders. Academy Award nominee Giancarlo Giannini stars as the dogged detective who takes the case only to find himself trapped in a web of immortality, excuse me, immorality and murder. From the tantalizing erotic opening to its vicious stunner of an ending, experience was considered to be one of the best and most riveting and acclaimed films in the entire Jello genre. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And this was one that I uh, have had for a while and, and was talking with you about it for a while, and I'm glad you were willing to come back to it because I totally would understand if you're like, hey, listen, I've watched 40 of these films. I had this one on. I missed part of it. I, I just don't know if I want to come back to it again. But I'm, I'm glad you gave it a second chance. Yeah, me too. I really, this, I was, this was in like... I, I had Blood and Black Lace, I had Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and then for n- many years, I didn't have anything else. And then I researched a handful of titles, and I bought like three or four of them at once, and this was one of the three or four. I got this yeah. one, I got Case of the Scorpion's Tail, and yep. the Case well, of the Bloody Iris. This and, uh, one, this one is what's good about this one is um, it has the most Western, like Hollywood-type story as well. You have a detective who feels a little bitter and jaded, about his uh, presence on the police force, and he just doesn't want to, he's kind of exhausted, doesn't want to do it anymore. He gets roped into this crime with a very interesting killer who is inserting needles into these women's spines, these acupuncture needles with this toxin. Yeah, like an acupuncture needle. Yeah, yeah. acupuncture needle. And he's um, he has these really cool-looking shiny medical gloves, and they do this really interesting thing where they do this match cut almost with the killer's gloves and you have the shiny latex style glove uh, surgeon's glove and you go to the they always cut to the policeman or somebody else in a different profession the lab assistant or whatever who might use that type of glove and it's a very um hollywood like western type uh, choice to make so they made a tremendous effort i think in this film to make it as, as cinematic and um as entertaining as possible and I, I really enjoy the killer, and the killer is awesome. I I like the relationship between the detective and his wife. I think that was really strong. And when she's put in peril... I like that the detective, too, actually kind of doubts himself. He feels yeah, yeah. a little overmatched. He says, I don't know if I'm right for this. I don't know if this is right great. for me. He's vulnerable. It's kind of refreshing to give him a... Yeah, 
to give them a human quality because well, all of these okay. not everyone's you know like you know, oh I'll crack this case oh it's trust me I know what I know what this is you need to listen to me we'll That's get most, this guy we'll, yeah. crack, we'll get him yeah, some of that stuff just comes comes a little heavy handed after a while doesn't it it's usually the attitude of most of the police uh, detectives in Jalo films they're just kind of like. The, the detectives are usually really calm, cool, and collected. They don't get exasperated. You don't know anything about their personal or private lives unless they're somehow intertwined in the story, which isn't often. And they're usually just like, hey, I knew you should have listened to me. Like in um, uh, Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye, he was just this really calm, cool, collected detective, you know, who was just kind of there. And, um, yeah. you know, and, or it's either implied that they're incompetent and, you know, yeah. kind of. Some hooker on Broadway, you know. Couldn't find a, <laughs> so. his, his butt would have had a bell on it. But yeah, it, this one is not that way at all. He's a flawed character. He's a troubled character. He's a relatable character. And, you know, you, and you like the guy and you care for him and you're invested in his story, which doesn't really happen in Jalo a lot. That's it, it, more of a Western thing. Um, or, you know, so, so that's going on. And then he's battling the killer. And there's a lot of really cool cat and mouse stuff. And everything is mostly... Uh, in the daylight, except for a couple of scenes here and there, there's a. I guess I should say there's a there's a few pursuits with the killer during the daylight, and it's really neat. Yeah. It's, it's a neat thing. But um, basically, it's it's a it's a the story takes place in, around this massage parlor, and a woman getting a massage is murdered, and then her husband is brought in and questioned, and it's found out that she's been having an affair, and he has the proof, and all this stuff but then like the husband wants to clear his name by helping the detective solve the crime but he himself gets murdered when the teen the detective are are having an encounter with the killer in broad daylight which is like one of the most exciting scenes in the whole film yeah and this thing this movie does something that i think started in blood and black lace is it shows the killer getting ready the killer prepping mm. and i that just really helped set like the tone for me and I really find that immensely enjoyable. And what I like about this one is the close-up of that uh, of the lamp. Like, it goes up the lamp, up through the shade, so you kind of see the fabric, the bars, all the parts of the lamp. And then we go to him, you know, getting these needles and getting everything ready. And another aspect of this movie that I kind of forgot about or didn't necessarily focus on until you kind of remind me, this has one of the best scores. In oh, the it's world. great. Fantastic. Fabulous. Fabulous soundtrack. Fantastic. In fact, uh, there was a re-release on vinyl in 2015, I think, and I wasn't aware of that, but I would I would love to listen to it. I, I couldn't find the album digitally online, but um, I may have it somewhere. But it, it's oh my god, it, what a, what a fantastic score that is. But um, yeah, so you know they they chase the killer around and eventually it comes down to just figuring out it's not this guy, it's not this guy, it's not this guy. And they finally come back to one of the original standouts, red herrings in the film, which was the character of the blind masseuse. And when the, yes. detec when the detective calls him into his office and he makes him take his glasses off and he's got the white contact lenses at that moment, I had figured out the movie. I was like, okay, this is going to be the killer. This is the guy. That's a ruse. And we're just, I'm just going to try to figure out how it's going to unfold from here. And that usually doesn't happen for me with these Jalo films. I, because everything, they don't give you enough information. Um, everything is usually so, right. so much out of left field. I'm unable to guess the ending. But this one I did because there was I was paying attention. There was enough information for me. So, Yeah, and screenwriters like Gestaldi, they say that's 
kind of the point of the genre is you're not supposed to trick the audience. You want them to say, ah, if I only would have paid attention. Yeah. And that is an easy thing to miss because he interviews, you know, more than one person from the massage parlor trying to figure out who the suspect is or narrow down as right. a physical prop in these type of movies where they spend time with the prop. It's going to pay off. It's going to come back. And then yeah. there's another murder where a lady is hanging half out of the sauna and one of his contacts fell out on the floor and he, right, right. he somehow manages to not step on it. And there he knows. He knows who he's dealing with. Pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It, it was a really enjoyable film for me overall. I didn't have much of a problem with any of it. Um, the only thing I could say, eh, there's a couple of shots that could have been tightened up a little bit. I think at the end, he's fighting with the killer, and there's a, sort of this delayed reaction that comes across as a little awkward, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, that was about it. I just really didn't... Yeah, I really can't pick this movie apart, and it has one of the best endings of all time because the killer captures the wife... And he has to race across town to save her. But by the time he reaches her, she's already been paralyzed. But he manages to take out the killer just in time. And they save her. And But he's unable to visit her in the doctor's office. The, the She's resting. So he's forced to, to leave, to hit the city streets and reflect on his life and the crimes and everything that's just happened. And there's this amazing end shot with the spider web that comes up and Morricone's music hits and it's just what a fucking cool ending to a really cool movie and also an unusual ending that he beats the living shit out of the killer and the yeah. killer is apprehended but the killer in fact is not killed that's kind of a rarity in these films usually, right usually they don't survive so so this one because I knew as soon as he pulled the gun and the killer dropped his knife and as soon as he started lowering his gun i said it out loud the first time i watched it I said, he's gonna kick this guy's ass yeah yeah <laughs> exactly that's a, yes the for, the fight choreography is not on the level of a shaw brothers film no, no. but it works it it works enough i mean it's a, it's kind of funny it's it kind of makes you chuckle a little bit but they were doing the best they could you could tell yeah that. yeah for sure that and for yeah, sure. I'm not going to try to nitpick the movie for that. No, and, and no. I think it's the best killer modus operandi with uh, paralyzing them and then using uh, a knife when they're still alive. It's, it's mimicking nature. That's I, how a wasp in the wild kills this tarantula. So right, that's, that's I agree. Cool. I agree. And present are the giallo tropes of cocaine, uh, drug use, yes. dr drug smuggling. There aren't any, like strange um hippies or people like that subculture people but the cocaine is in there it's a red herring um and but there is no woman going crazy but there is a man going crazy it's the detective he's one who's kind of losing his mind which is interesting and yeah you know and yeah he's it's his work that's he feels overmatched it's, it's kind yeah. of weighing heavily on uh on his mind and i i never had to work Homicide investigations, but I've worked mm -hmm. several death investigations, whether mm -hmm. it's natural causes or, or suicide, mm -hmm. and I only had to do about four or five of those, and I'm telling you, it weighs on you. Yeah. And I can't imagine yeah. in real life being a homicide detective and dealing with this stuff all the time. It's cumulative. It adds up. So yeah. whether they turn to alcoholism or they... Anyway, I'm rambling. There's a high burnout rate. It, you're human. Yeah. It adds up. It gets to you. So I thought that they used a clever touch of making him have doubts about what he was doing. 
And that's sort of where we meet this detective at that point in his life. You know, he's right there. He's at the end of it. He's, you know, kind of right where you are at the burnout phase, ready to be done. And um, it's it's awesome. And it, it has, like I said, the cocaine element. It's got the, I like the, the MO of the killer. I just don't like, I mean, I didn't like it, but it was a very simplistic story. Like he killed his wife because she was unfaithful to him. And then he kept killing because it unleashed his inner demons. I kind of thought that was like the weakest part of the story. And that, and that's often where these films kind of fall apart is like the, the story around the killer isn't his, his motive isn't uh, the strongest and the best one of the most creative. Sometimes they are. But uh, this one just sure. wasn't my favorite, but I wouldn't uh, really take away too many points for that. I think it was um, enjoyable because of everything else. If that was the only tiny little problem I had with it, I can forgive that. Yeah, because they said he was impotent, and because of that, his wife cheated on him. So he liked yeah. being in the position in the massage parlor where he could witness other people being unfaithful and of course that unlocked his urges to kill so it yeah okay the crimes they're sex crimes is what they are the sex, sex crimes, crimes. yeah so. and and like it was just you know they had this whole thing just to kind of go when the, when the film feels like it has to go around the block to get across the street in the end i wind up feeling a little over underwhelmed but that's okay because i think overall um it was a solid four and a half for me it was nearly a five-star movie just because of how enjoyable it was and how cool the killer was so i'd say it's a definite four and a half absolutely agree yeah absolutely agree with you um it's it just a few things a little different and it's and it's a five-star film but this is a really really a really good one it has a lot of style it has a lot of flair it has in my opinion the coolest uh killer mo it also has three women in there that would go on to be james bond girls so if you're interested oh yeah in, in that type of stuff and kind of seeing where where people went on into other films it, it kind of checks the box for that and of course giancarlo giannini would later go on to play the detective in hannibal some 30 years after this film so i think that's pretty cool that well. i love that part of it and i think that like man i almost wonder if um you know, um, Ridley Scott hadn't seen Black Belly of the Tarantula and was like, we're going to put this in Italy. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, like, like even though he was, uh, Thomas Harris set the film in Italy, that, that part of it, I set the the story, but you know, Ridley Scott really leaned into that and and got that, uh, giallo actor. And it felt uh, very much like a giallo film, Hannibal, looking back on, I haven't seen Hannibal for a long time, but that portion when they're, when they're in Florence feels very much like that. And I would, love to go back and and watch Hannibal again through that giallo lens and see how close they got to a film like Black Belly of the Tarantula in tone, you know? Yeah, and that is the best part of, of Hannibal is when they're in Italy. I mean, the stuff in the States where there's the big shootout and Clarice is kind of on the verge of getting suspended and then the ending, which is kind of over-the-top ludicrous with what happens to Ray Oda and some of the other stuff. Silly. Yeah. Yeah, so okay, so they're kind of turning it up a little bit there, but yeah, the part where they're in Italy and stuff like that, following around Dr. Lecter, that's gold, pure gold. It's really, it's really, really good. It's really good, and it, it became, 
as an adult now i've seen it when i was really young actually there was a last movie i watched before 9-11 the night september 10th i watched that movie right before the day before 9-11 and i remember um watching the film and there's a picture of osama bin laden and you know in the on the computer as fbi is most wanted and then like the next day 9-11 happened and i saw that and i was like that's really fucking weird you know, I mean, and it's just a co- yeah, it's just a coincidence. But you know, for me, I thought it was uh, I couldn't watch that movie for a long time after that because I've, obviously I was very shaken by nine eleven as everyone was, and and it just disturbed me a little bit. So this the it was kind of a it, just, it bugged it bothered me a lot. But in any case, now, now as an adult, um, I love Hannibal a lot more because of some of those elements, the Italian elements. I'm excited to go back and. And watch another Jello January is over. I'm gonna go back and, and watch some other stuff. But it's been a good month. Yeah. It's been a good month of viewing and we've watched a lot of good stuff, covered a lot of ground, and I'm glad that we were able to uh bring a lot of episodes this month. Yeah, we covered a lot of material, some genre heavyweights and some lesser known films. So okay, Rick, here's an idea. Yeah. Give me your top five of the films you watched that we talked about for Giallo January, and I'll do the same. I'm kind of curious to see how we compare on this one. I'm going to have to say Tenabre is one of them. Um, I can say coming in, in no particular order, we'll just say Tenabre. We'll say The the Strange Voice of Mrs. Ward. Um, I'll say All the Colors of the Dark. How many is that? Three. Right. Um, um, Black Belly of the Tarantula, for sure. And then it's going to be a toss-up between, like, Strip Nude for Your Killer and, like, Case of the Scorpions, or Crimes of the Black Cat. You know, it's one of those. Um, so, I don't know, maybe nice. maybe the Crimes of the Black Cat, just for the the ammo of the killer using the cat. And, of course, uh, my fondness of Peter Oliver and putting him in our movies. So, good. Yeah. Good. Mine is mine is pretty close to that. We okay. we have a lot of the a lot of the same ones. I I have uh, not necessarily in order, but probably pretty close. Blood and Black Lace is number one. Okay. Kind of the genre starts with that. Yeah. And absolutely love Blood and Black Lace. Um, all the colors of the dark. Uh-huh. That's probably my favorite Sergio Martino Giallo. Um, although you could pick any of them with Edwige. Really, she doesn't really seem to give a bad performance, even if the movie overall isn't great no she's the best she's a doll she's a doll um oh yes yeah she's the giallo queen um i'm also going to go with tenabre i really really like that movie i think it's as good if not better than bird with the crystal plumage even though we didn't view that one and watch about it it certainly came up in commentary a lot um i'm also going to pick black belly of the tarantula i it's just like you said, a really, really solid introduction to the genre as a whole. Great killer MO, a lot of mm-hmm. style, a lot of flair, mm-hmm. some good chase sequences. It's, it's a fun, enjoyable movie. And now the fifth one I'm going to pick might surprise you a little bit. Okay. I'm going to give a nod to uh, The Psychic. Oh, Psychic, yeah, I forgot a, about that. Yeah. A really good um, mystery component, and it's so unusual for Fulci to put together a story that is coherent with the beginning, middle, and end, and every pil- every clue that he gives you along the way leads to the ending. Yeah. And then the ending is right out of 
Edgar Allan Poe with the person trapped in the wall. So, yeah, those would be my top five. I had forgotten about the psychic. There's been so many. I didn't prepare the, the list. I would have looked through the list and thought about that more. But, yeah, the psychic for sure. Um, it is a Jalo outlier, but it does have the detective thriller mystery in the middle of it, so it does qualify for it. But uh, I'm definitely a Jalo purist. I like my films with a killer in a top coat and a fedora stalking his victims quietly with a strange mechanism of death. And uh, I like a detective thriller, and I like some seediness and a good twist and a good fight and a good chase. So so these check all the boxes, but um, it was a tough one with all the colors of the dark because it didn't have any of that, but a really, really, really cool ending, and Martino is the master he is uh in one of his interviews on one of the films he talks about how he met quentin tarantino or something and tarantino said to something like you know okay go ahead maestro so he was kind of chuckling and laughing about that he's like so now i'm the maestro people call me the maestro so i thought that was pretty funny to see that older guy kind of laughing and um he wasn't patting himself on the back he was acknowledging that someone else appreciated his work so i thought that was a pretty humble quality. I liked that. He could for sure. I think that he he definitely deserves the accolades. He's just uh, created some really, really, really standout work in the genre. Um, He's a purist, you know, even though he did do the kind of the cash grab with all the colors of the dark, he's more of a purist. He's not going to go two bananas with his movies. Um, That was the most bananas probably, but um, yeah, you know, I think he I li- think just, he likes what he yeah. likes. He likes what he likes. Definitely, and I think his films are more consistent. I mean, some are better than others, but they're all all pretty good. I've never really watched one of his and felt disappointed with it. And I can't say no. that for some of no. Argentos. Uh, no, I agree. His to me are very in, in, inconsistent, where uh, Martino is very consistent, excluding the subject matter from all the colors of the dark. But it's still with the same type of tension, the same type of quality, the same type of knack for detail, the same uh, story progression. Uh, Yeah, I guess, you know, going through these movies with you and watching some of these things for the second time kind of opened that door for me to kind of acknowledge how much I liked them. I guess that started with getting to watch Torso for a second time. Yeah, Torso is definitely good. And um, I think, uh, you know, um, House of the Laughing Windows needs a nod. It needs a special recommendation because it's such an outlier. It's a unique film. It's It has the El Giallo elements. It certainly sort of fits. If you, if you could ar- make an argument for all the colors of the dark, you can make an argument for House of the Laughing Windows and Short Night of Glass Dolls. Yep. Now, Short Night of Glass Dolls to a lesser extent, but, you know, that certainly fits. Yeah, uh... Sorry, some of some of the um, I'm missing a little bit of your audio there, so I'm trying to comprehend the best of what you're saying. But that goes back to what we were saying on the very first episode. There's no hard fast rule for Giallo. So I guess in closing, I would just say you know read some articles. Like I recommend one called Knives Out, which is like the 30 best Giallo, and then there was another one put out by Goomba Stomp, which is like the top 50 Giallos of all time. Or even if you just research top slashers there's going to be some giallos thrown in there i think once you 
uh, watch these movies, and if you enjoy them, the next thing you know, you're going to have a collection of them. I would say, like, instead of my, I would say instead of reading the article for me, my personal recommendation would be if you have Shutter, if you have a streaming service, most people. If you're listening to this, chances are you might have you might be able to get a free week of Shutter. If you can, go on there and look at the um, the collections, the Jalo collections, because they have an outstanding collection of Jalo films, and they have um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and Strip Nude for Your Killer and Trauma and a bunch of the titles that we've talked about on here, and, and they have Demons and Demons Two and a lot of Outliers and a lot of good stuff on there. So. Just go on there, pick a pick a film, or go on YouTube, and they're free. Just look them up. Look them up on YouTube. You might get lucky. Even yeah. if even if there's an Italian version with subtitles, this is the best way to watch it. You know, um, just I think so. Yeah, yeah. Go, go on there for free and, and find a Jalo movie and just start watching them and and absorb them. And you have to stick it out. There. You have to have the courage to sit through them and put your phone down, throw it in the garbage for two hours, and pay attention because. Uh, once you once it gets its hooks in you, like you'll never be the same. <laughs> I agree, and that's that's certainly proven the case for me. From starting out with just a couple of them, and then now having fifty some of them, and all mine are physical copies. Uh, I've enjoyed the ride. It, it's just a genre that I'm not really going to get tired of, and I have enough of them where I can literally watch a different one every week yeah. for an entire year. So that's that's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Italian films in general. I like the gothic horror films. I call the Camille Keaton films. In fact, she does she does have a couple of Jalo films. Vinegar Syndrome has a Camille Camille Keaton in Italy set. Uh, Arrow Films has uh, an Italian films set. Sex of the Witch is in there somewhere. That's a Camille Keaton film. And there's some uh, some subgenres of Jalo you could argue maybe or uh, offshoots of Italian gothic films like the Nun's Exploitation and things like that I'm, I'm excited to get into that and so the gothic horror things like that that are it's hammer adjacent and so it's a very yeah. uh, it's a very murky waters there from from 1960 to like 1978 there's a lot going on in those eight in those uh 28 years you know 18 years yeah. 18 years so so we're going to be going through a lot of that stuff and i'm excited to see some other stuff from the eighties, like uh, and then in the eighties, the the post Giallo years, there was the nom exploitation stuff, and there was the the post apocalyptic thing after Mad Max came out. So those those Italian guys never went away. They just they just you know hitched their wagon to something else. And uh, I'd love to talk about that stuff as well, like Strike Commando one and two, which I've covered. Um, and then Endgame and the Bronx Warrior and Escape from the <laughs> Rambo Bronx. Rambo knockoffs, right? Stuff oh, like that. man, yeah. Well, and like a lot of the... Um, we've watched a lot of the uh, post-apocalyptic films on our old show, you know, and holy Christ, there were some really bad ones, so... I'm excited. Yeah, to. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of I can't think of a good one offhand, but that oh, that man. was the recipe for that show. It was guys sitting around enjoying each other's company and ribbing a movie that is probably not the best so this is a little different format this is more appreciation film appreciation yeah. i think so so yeah yeah and if you'd like to check out our show and the library i update my library all the time as i get new films in the collection i'm not buying any films this year I'm trying not to but um certainly have a lot of outstanding pre-orders that are coming in i'm a vinegar syndrome subscriber 
And I just got notification that my Vinegar Syndrome box has shipped. I have 11 titles coming to me, some of which I think are from the Vinegar Syndrome subscriber package. Some of them are from the $10 sale. I think I picked up maybe eight or nine titles from the $10 sale. I can't, I'm not sure offhand, but um, I'm excited to dig into those, all, all classics. Nothing younger, oh, yeah. nothing younger than 1995. It's kind of in my wheelhouse, 1960 to 1995. It's kind of my, my film wheelhouse. So check us out on Letterboxd. You can look up Film Trauma there. You can look us up on Instagram, Film Trauma Podcast, Twitter, Film Trauma Pod. Uh, you can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts. Please like, rate, and review. Only only good reviews, please. And um, you can find us yeah. on SiriusXM Pandora Amazon Music, Audible, and wherever good podcasts are found. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you to our Australian listeners, and, and hopefully other people are enjoying the material as well, because Rick and I are avid movie fans, and we enjoy talking about them, and we're going to do more stuff in the future. They love us in Australia, which is really good. I'm happy. That's I'm awesome. Ha- I'm happy about that. So, okay. Uh, That's awesome. All right, we'll see you guys later.